Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody here. If you have your Bibles, I'll ask you to turn over to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, we're continuing what we began last week on redeeming sexuality. Um, I'd like to start with part of a song. I'm not going to sing, okay? So relax. I know better than to do that. I don't know. The song goes back a couple decades. You know, Andy um, Williams had sung it and so forth. But the last part of the song says this. And, and I think the song was entitled Once Upon a Time. But the end of the song says this. Once upon a time, <clears throat> the world was sweeter than we knew. Everything was ours. How happy we were then. But somehow, once upon a time, never comes again. And I know he's talking about that in light of a relationship with a woman, probably, no doubt. But I've often wondered with that song, if um, Adam and Eve couldn't have sung it after the fall, right? They could have looked back and they said, you know, once upon a time it was this way, but now it is this. And once upon a time will never come again. Well, I'm going to come back to that at the end. But, but there's truth to what that song says. Last week, we took this whole issue of sexuality, which as you're aware is a hot topic in our day today. And we, we looked at it in light of creation, the way things were. And we started to look at it in light of the fall, the way things are. And that's where I want to kind of go back initially is talk about the way things are. But where we ultimately want to go in our time together this morning is the way things can be in light of redemption. Does that make sense? We looked at the way things were, started to look about the way they are. Now we're going to pick up with the way they are and the way they can be. So turn over to Romans chapter one. This is a Really a fascinating passage for a whole host of reasons. Um, And I wish if I had time we could talk about the first three chapters of Romans, but I'm going to limit myself just to verses 18 and following in Romans 1 and just highlight a couple things for you. One of the things Paul is doing in Romans 1 is he's looking at the way things are in culture at large doesn't mean that everybody practices everything that you see here. It's not the point. The point is, as you, as you look at, it as, at a culture, a culture that begins to turn its back on God and spins out of control, what does that look like? Does that make sense? And so, so listen to what he says. I'm going to start there in verse 18. Where I want to really camp out is in verses 19 to 25. Listen to what he says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You know who that refers to? Everybody, doesn't it? Everybody apart from Christ, apart from Christ and being saved by him, has this tendency of suppressing God's truth. And so, why do they suppress? They suppress what they have actually seen around them. Look at verse 19 and 20. Because 
That which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Here's the point. God has revealed himself to humanity. Does it in a whole host of ways around us? Sometimes it's through a conscience which recognizes it can't even keep up with its own standard that it establishes. And it's looking around at a world that has to say, there must be someone who has made this that's greater than I. I don't know who he is and all what that entails, but he's beyond me. He's outside of creation and he has made this. It's it's at least that. And yet Paul says what culture tends to do is it looks at that and it says, no, I don't quite like that. Because if I start going down that road, that means I've got to submit to the authority of another. I don't know if that's quite the way to do it. So how about if I create the world as I want it to be? And that's exactly what happens in the passage. And you can go back to the earliest time of humanity and mankind has been engaged in that kind of practice. It bubbles up all kinds of different ways. Man is very creative in in sinfulness, very creative. But at the end of the day, it is a rejection of God. And so notice what that rejection looks like. Man rejects God. Here's what's so fascinating. You can take your most rank atheist. And you can look him or her square in the eye and you can say this. You are a worshiper. Do you know that? No, no, no. He'll quickly say no because he's thinking you mean worship a God or or some deity. But Paul is going to argue in this passage that everybody worships something. It could be themselves. Could be a whole host of things. So he uses a whole series of words to talk about suppressing God, worshiping other things other than God, gone with your lusts. In, in the way that Disney would tell us, follow your heart. Does that scare you at all? Follow your heart? The Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And now we got, we got a whole culture that says follow your heart. I, I, I found something on the Huffington Post over the, yesterday or Friday. And, and uh, it was called Trust Your Heart. So it kind of really, it, it, it grabbed me. Um, because this whole passage talks about the fact that the heart is the last thing you should trust. And in the article... It's about three pages, so I, I'll spare you. But, but, but the author says things like this. When it comes to what is right for you, your heart has the answer. I have come to realize that life is not about pain and punishment. The essence of life is about joy, happiness, and love. This can only occur if you trust and look after your heart. And again, 
like I said, it goes on for four pages. I'll just read the end. Your heart wants only the best for you. It is up to you to trust your beautiful heart because it ultimately means that you are trusting yourself. Let the magic of your heart guide you. Look at what Paul says. Verse 21, uh, 22. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and birds and animals and crawling creatures. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And he, he argues in this passage in verse 24 that God gives people over in the lusts of their heart. God says, I reveal myself. Humankind suppresses the truth and says, we will worship what we want and we will believe what we want. That's the problem, folks. Um, in, its, uh, in its simplest form, I have a problem with my heart all the time. Don't you? Because I'm finding myself on a daily basis, even as a Christian who's been forgiven by Christ, has the Spirit of God, God's doing work in my life. But you know, if I shift into neutral, I will find that I will tend to believe the wrong things about God. Or I'll believe what the world tells me about God. Or I'll just go with what the world says is most important. And if you start going with your desires, you're going down the wrong road. The Bible says God has revealed himself, mankind has rejected it, and thirdly, the Bible says God therefore then judges. Notice how God judges in Romans 1. It's very fascinating. Wouldn't you think the way God would judge is he would say, you're gone, you're done, and remove people? Oh, God can do whatever he wants. And he, if he chooses to do that, that's his business. But notice how he judges in this passage. Very interesting. You will find this occur three times in the passage. Listen to what it says. Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their minds to impurity. And again, look at verse 26. For this reason, God gave them over to degraded passions. In verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. You know what the text tells us? God has revealed himself. Man has sung the song, I'll have it my way. Right? And the way God judges in Romans 1 is he says, okay, have at it. And so what people will call freedom is often an act of God's judgment because he does not restrain them but allows them to go and experience the consequences of their acts. Do you see that? 
When people tell me, oh man, I am so free. 60s man freed us. The 60s has bound us when it comes to sexual freedom. Hasn't it? It's an oxymoron. It's not sexual freedom. It's sexual bondage. And this passage says when people go their own way and God doesn't restrain them, it is a form of God's judgment upon them. They are not people that you should be looking at and saying, oh man, I wish I could do that. They are people that we should pity, that we should want to reach with the truth of the gospel. It doesn't mean they're hopeless. It just means they're in a downward spiral. Does that make sense? And in the midst of that, he talks about a whole host of sins. And because of our topic, I want to look at verse 26 and 27. But I want you to know something. If, if, if we had time and I could read all the sins listed in Romans chapter 1, I would say to you things like being insolent and disobedient to pastor, uh, parent, pastors. How about that one? There's, there's a good one. Why isn't that in there? No, it's not in there. It's not in there, folks. I, 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 whatever. Disobedient to parents, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, etc. Et it has a whole host of sins. But I, I want to focus on the sexual ones, but I want to just make this point. It is very, very important that as we minister in this world, as we engage people in this discussion on sexuality, that we never do it from a position of pride, arrogance, and hopelessness. Never. Because we are all sinners. And everyone stands condemned before God and expresses that sin in a whole host of ways. So one sin, homosexual, homosexual practices is a sin against God. The Bible's clear on that. But it's not the only sin. And for me to look at somebody and put, say, you are written off, you are finished, you are worse, that's not the point of this text. It is part of the downward spiral, and it's important that we recognize it impacts them and others and society. All true, all true. But it's not the unpardonable sin, folks. There's a whole host of sins listed here in Romans chapter 1. And so we live in a world where people are spiraling out of control because they're arrogant and they're proud and they're materialistic and, and, and they don't submit to authority. Just a whole host of things. And one of them is sexual perversity. So we want to see it in context. Does that, does that make sense? Look at what he says in verse 26 and 27. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. When you live in a culture that says we should celebrate when a man marries a man, which is what we're told to do, which I have to tell you, far too many liberal denominations are saying that in our day, folks. It's the truth. Just talk to people in those denominations. I mean, just heard another guy yesterday talking about this stuff. I'm, going, I'm just shaking my head, just shaking my head. Folks, I could never celebrate that because I hate the people that are quote-unquote getting married. No, 
because I love the people. If you don't declare the truth to people, you're not loving people. The Bible's very clear on that. And it says, when you have a woman who's in a relationship with another woman, it's a lesbian relationship or a guy in a, in a gay relationship with another guy, whatever terms you want. I don't even like the terms, but they are what they are. So we are where we are. Whenever that goes on, that is never anything to be celebrated. That is always something to be looked at and saying, oh God, be merciful to these sinners that they might see the truth. As it is, with the individuals who are engaged in premarital sex and adultery and lost in pornography and, 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 and. Do you see what I'm saying? Hebrews 13 tells us it is only the marriage covenant itself within which the bed is undefiled, a place to be celebrated. Yes, there is a context There are parameters where God says within that context between a man and a woman who are married to one another, have added to the glory of God. I mean, the Bible is not Victorian in those areas at all. Read Proverbs 5, etc. Read Song of Solomon, okay? I mean, it's all over the place. But you ever let that fire get outside of that fireplace and it will destroy. Whether it's premarital sex or adultery or homosexuality or whatever, 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 it all violates the parameters and the intention of God. And when anybody's engaged in any of those things, we don't look at them and say, you're gone. We pray for them because we say God loves you and he wants to redeem you to himself. Do you see? That's our message And if I say something that God says is wrong, it's okay. I have not loved. I am only hurting. So we have no option. We we shouldn't say it in a condescending way. We shouldn't say it in a way that's um, uh, demeaning. But we should say it. In a way that's humble and hopeful over what God can do in that relationship. Does that make sense? So Romans 1 is very, very clear. God has revealed himself. Mankind says, I'll have it my way. Here's what concerns me. So much of the language now of what I can do sexually is bound up in, but that's what I want. That's who I am. That's what I desire. Do you know what I'm saying? So, so now... Who I am is dictated by what I desire. Holy mackerel, we're in trouble. Where does that end? Who gets to put parameters on that? Who can say that being a pedophile then is wrong? If that's the way I'm wired. Do you see? Well, if you love one of your animals, bestiality, who's to say? And I know people say, well, you can't go there. Why can't I go there? If it's shaped by who I am and what I want and how I think I'm wired, there are no parameters, folks. There are no parameters. God has clearly established parameters. Sexual activity between a husband and a wife 
alone within the context of marriage. That's it. And when that is honored, God is glorified. That couple experiences something that cannot be experienced anywhere else. They raise up a family with appropriate values and they pass on to society a system that will benefit the whole. Do you see? It is the most loving thing that can occur. And when mankind cuts on and says, I'll have it my way, sometimes God says, okay, go for it. And what they do is they will experience the consequences of those things personally and societally. That's how it works. Okay, thanks, Finkbeiner. The life is, the world is a mess. We're a mess. So now what? The way things can be. Will you turn over to another passage with me? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want to look with you at verses 9 through 11. This is really, this is so terrific by Paul. I love it. I love it. Here here it is. Here it is again. I've told you this before. In our lives, personally, in our lives with one another, in our lives with, with anybody we know, we never do anybody any good by minimizing sin. We never help. We never help doing that. The Bible is very clear. Never minimize sin. But then it always goes on to say, but maximize the grace of God. Right? I mean, that's, so we don't minimize this. The problem is the problem in all of its entailments. But our hope comes in the gospel. So look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. I chose this passage because it brings up the homosexuality issue again among some other sins. Listen to what he says. Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, they won't. Nor idolaters, they won't. Nor adulterers. I mean, Paul lives in a world where the the sexual perversity was pervasive in the culture. So much so that certain religions of the day, mystery religions, actually promoted sexual activity and and, connected to the worship itself of that deity. I mean, it was corrupt through and through. I mean, you're talking about sexual perversity. It was all over, all over the place. I mean, wasn't there a show years ago called Sex in the City? Well, if Paul was writing, he'd say there was sex in the city and in the, and, and in the country and in the town and, and the rural. It's all over, just like it is in our day. There's, there's, it's it's pervasive problem. So when he talks and he sees this downward spiral, he throws in that downward spiral fornicators and adulterers. But look at the list as it goes on. My translation says effeminate and homosexuals. I think perhaps a better way to translate that would be this. Passive homosexual partners and dominant homosexual partners. And without going into incredible detail in the first century, there's a lot that's been written on this. Only to say this. In the ancient world, um, there, there, there was, I mean, 
there was a demeaning of women that would often go on. There's no question about in the ancient world. And that was restored in, in Christianity. But, but in the ancient world, all kinds of problems. And one of the things that the ancients said was this, some of them in the Roman world. When it comes to a homosexual relationship, a man, if he's like the man, he'll be the dominant partner. If he's the passive partner, he'll be more like a woman. I'm not going to go into details there, but I'm just telling you, they recognized there was dominant and passive relation, uh, partners even within a homosexual relationship. And what a lot said in the ancient world was, if you're the dominant partner, that's fine. If you're passive, nah, poo, nah, no good. Okay, because you're often a slave just taken advantage of. Paul looks at the entire scenario and he says fornication, he says adultery, he says the dominant partner, he says the passive partner, it's all perversity. Do you see? He just, it's, all, it's, just, it's all stuff outside of bounds. In the bounds, man, husband and wife, sexual intimacy in such a way that God looks on it with great joy. That's the way it is. Outside of that, it's all wrong. Well, the dominant guy's better than... No, it's all wrong. There's no wiggle room here, Paul says. He'll go on to mention other sins. Thieves and covetous and drunkards and revilers and swindlers. Again, you see, it's not the unpardonable sin, but it is a pervasive sin. None of these people shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to this, folks. Verse 11, this is very important. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. That's the gospel, folks. I think I told you last week about a young man that I had talked to in the last year. He's a godly young man. And he's had deep, dark times in his life when he's very depressed. The way he explained it to me is he hated himself because he had same-sex attraction. So what do I tell him? Stop it! Oh, that'll really help. You know what he's found? He's found that there's something deeper than that struggle. And it, it is his identity in Jesus Christ. Which is why in Galatians 3.28, Paul will say, in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Oh, really? Like, there's still Jew or Gentile, Paul. Like, hello. But there's something deeper. There's your union to Christ. There's neither slave nor bond. There's neither male and female. It's a really interesting statement. If we had time, I'd like to unpack in greater detail, but we won't now. Only to say this. God's whole intention of male and female and how they propagate 
within the context of marriage for the glory of God, that whole thing. He says that is a wonderful gift from God that God's given, but there is something even deeper. It's being united to Christ. And you know what that young man has come to learn? He still has struggles, which he does not act on, which he's talking through for, for, for a whole host of reasons. But he's coming to know the freedom of finding his identity primarily in Jesus and not in his desires. And that changes everything. The gospel does not bind us. The gospel frees us to begin to live out the design that God has had for us from the beginning. Does that make sense? Don't trust your heart. Don't follow your heart. Let God's spirit reveal your heart, the idols of the heart, the things you believe in correctly, the things you... Let him reveal it and then, then begin to come to learn the joy of putting Christ at the center and giving us perspective on all of those other things. One other thing, quickly, that I want to mention. And I I won't read all the verses. I'll just share it with you. It it, it ties into this whole thing about Jesus. I, I love this. Folks, hear me. When you and I, well, I'm sorry, when Adam and Eve were created, the Bible says they were created in the image of God, correct? And so, so they are to represent God. They are able to communicate with God. No cow can communicate with God, you know? There's something really unique about humans in, uh, from, from all other creation. Absolutely unique. Because of the fall, we have not done well with that at all, have we? We don't communicate with God well. We don't represent him well in this world. The world is a mess. So God writes himself under our story by sending his son. Who Hebrews 1 tells us is the very image of God. And Jesus lives a perfect life, living exactly the way we're supposed to live. And when you and I trust him as our Lord and Savior, the Bible will say repeatedly in Romans 8, in Ephesians, in Colossians 3, in Ephesians 4, and on and on and on. It will say, in 2 Corinthians 3, it will say again and again that our lives are all about being conformed to the what? Image of Jesus Christ. And one day, when he comes back, we learn from Hebrews chapter 2, he will establish a world that finally lives out what God intended for humanity to live out from the beginning, where his image is lived out in the world. Jesus Christ is totally the answer. He can transform us as individuals. He can begin to make us more like him through his spirit with all of the challenges that come over an extended period of time. I get it. And then one day with him, 
We will rule in such a way that he always intended from the beginning. Remember I mentioned that song to you at the beginning? Once upon a time, the world was sweeter than we knew. Everything was ours. How happy we were then. Maybe Adam and Eve would say something like that. But somehow, once upon a time, never comes again? Oh, it's dead wrong on that one. God has already started the work in us. He will bring it to completion in the future. And once upon a time, will be experienced at the end. And so when we look at this whole issue of sexuality, we don't want to deny it. We don't want to deny God's intention. We don't want to deny the downward spiraling that we find our culture in. It's all what it is. What we want to do is we want to be used as God's mouthpieces. Humbly, kindly, appropriately moving into relationships in ways that are, that, that are often daunting, I get it. And telling people, Jesus can change you. You can say, like Paul says, and such were some of you. you. Maybe that was something people would say about you in the past, but they don't have to say that about you anymore because you've trusted in Christ who has forgiven you and is in the process of changing you by his spirit. Isn't that what we sang about again today? I love the songs. We, we, we don't have, if you're here today, you know Christ, we don't have anything else to offer you but Jesus. We're not going to offer you ourselves because there ain't much here. We're, we fail. We have problems. We have all those kinds of things. But we are forgiven. And God is at work in our hearts with all of our group of sins that we struggle with too. But he's working on us. So if you struggle in the area of homosexuality or perversity or fornication, or whatever it is, Come join us to learn the freedom that can only come through Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. That's why we're here. We're not perfect people, but we're different people. And we're moving in a different direction. And we want you to know the hope you can have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, We rejoice that you are the God of all hope. Lord, this is not our world. This is your world. You get to choose. You get to select the boundaries in the way things are supposed to be. It is never our job to manipulate them and change them. But Father, we thank you that as the God of all hope, that you reach out to people who have spiraled out of control, who have felt the consequences of their own sin, and you have redeemed them, and you have forgiven them, and you are in the process of transforming them. Lord, will you even this day draw people to yourself who don't know you, that they might know the freedom that can only come in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, for us as believers, there's no place for pride and arrogance 
Help us to move into our world as broken people who have known Jesus and know Jesus and share the blessing and the freedom that can only come through him in ways that are appropriate, both by what we say and how we live. In Christ's name I pray, amen.